Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Nice to see you all. My name is Gabe Phillips and uh, I have the privilege of being married to the beautiful Fiona for just shy of five years. Dad to Olivia Grace, who's 18 months old, feisty and fun. But I'm also um, one of three brothers. I'm the youngest of three brothers. Grew up in, in Harare, Zimbabwe. The oldest brother, Damien, he's eight years older than me. Then I've got Simon, who's five years older than me. Damien was uh, the brother who's he just, just a little bit too far to, to have a, a close relationship with when growing up. Because I was in junior school, he was in senior school. I got to senior school, he was leaving the home. But Simon, he was a little bit more tangible and up close and personal, just being five years apart, that very quickly Simon became my hero. I'll tell you, for a number of reasons, Simon was a hero to me. Number one, because he had an earring. Yeah, that was cool. That was cool. He also had peroxided hair. He also, as a young teenager, stumbled on uh, creatine and the gym. So things started to take shape. But ultimately, he knew how to rave. And this was the 90s. Uh, this was this was the this was bigger than the 90s, and I thought those things alone make you my hero. But on top of that, as soon as my parents would leave the house most evenings um, during the week, my brother would usurp the landline. Anyone remember one of those? The landlines, telephones with wires. Used to curse people who had zeros in their number because you had to, a lot of dialing had to go on there. You know, it was like really hard work. But he would take over the landline and he would whip out his little black book. Yes, he had one of those which had various numbers of different girls all across Harare um, that he would phone and, and talk to. And he was a master at this. He was a master. I would watch just amazed at how we would, he would dial their numbers and he would hold these conversations that made these girls feel like they were one of a kind. And he used the same, he didn't have to, he was so good, he didn't even have to remember their names because he called every single one of them, hey my tiny, true story. So much so that Simon was so good at this game that actually every Valentine's year, he would have a host of cards and chocolates from near and far. He had no word of a lie. He had a folder behind his bed filled with Valentine's cards from different girls, all of them saying, love from your tiny. Yeah, all of them. And I thought this guy was my hero. Why? Because I didn't have an earring. I didn't have peroxide hair. I wasn't into the creatine yet. As you can see, it took a while longer to get bigger. Still coming. Still coming. And I definitely didn't know how to rave, still don't know. But I'll tell you, as I saw this conference grew, I thought, that's what I want to be like. I want to be like Simon. But year after year, Valentine's Day would come and Valentine's Day would go and no cards or chocolates would come my way. Until the fateful year of grade five, as I remember distinctly this day, standing in line outside the classroom, the girls would go in first, as was tradition. They'd go and they'd fill the desk with all the the cards, their Valentine's cards for their secret admirers into the different desks. And then the boys would go in afterwards. And every year on year, I'd gone and opened my desk and found empty, nothing. But this year was different. As I remember walking into the classroom and I started to lift that, that little that desk up as my as my palms were shaking and my, my, my palms were getting sweaty as well. Big Eminem was big in those days. Um, as, as I started to get excited for this moment, thank you, Emmanuel, for that laugh. <laughs> the eight mile, thank you. Anyway, as I started to get excited because I opened the desk and I saw there was something in it that wasn't there before break time. It was a piece of paper which had glitter, which was sparkling, which had had a highlighter had gone wild all over it and some tippics here and there. My heart started to beat fast and faster. I started to picture who this Mrs. Phillips would be. Who was going to be my tiny? So excited. And as I opened it and I got this letter out, about to find out who my secret admirer was. 
a girl ran over with big eyes and she ripped the card out of my hand and said, sorry, wrong desk. I tell that story for two reasons, to gain your sympathy, so thank you, now we're all on board together. And secondly, to introduce the topic this morning that my title of my sermon is Relationship Goals. Relationship Goals. And if you're not a millennial or you're not on social media, you won't know that this is one of the most hashtag phrases on social media. Hashtag Relationship Goals. If you go search it afterwards, you'll find millions and millions of posts about it. But basically, it's what couples or individuals will tag and hashtag Relationship Goals when they see a celebrity couple that they want to aspire to. They're just so good together. I want my relationship one day to be like them. Hashtag Relationship Goals. Or when they see a meme or a quote on Facebook that inspires them. So, well, hashtag relationship goals. Basically, any photo that looks like this. Relationship goals. Just you. Hey? I didn't, I didn't go through and look for the purposely bad ones. I promise. I didn't. I swear, Mark. I promise you. I was preparing. But this morning, I want to say relationship goals aren't a bad thing. You can take that picture off, give me. Mark is dying. We'll put that on Facebook later. Um, but this morning, I want to say relationship goals aren't bad things. They're, it's good to have something to aim for. But I want to, this morning, bring aim and direction to our relationships. Because I believe whether you're single, if you're dating, engaged, or married, that if you do not have the right direction to run in, you'll always have relationship statuses of it's complicated or it's painful or it's average or I just don't want to even talk about it. This morning, I want to bring life to our relationships from the Word of God because actually, as Mark mentioned, if we're just using culture to determine what society says is normal, right, and acceptable to determine where we're aiming, our goals, our target line, We'll always be in flux because the target is always moving. It's a shifting target in culture. But the great news for you and I is we've got the Word of God, which never changes, but ultimately points us always to freedom, future, and fulfillment in Christ. I want to say this morning that actually, as you read the Scriptures, there's only really two preachers in the Bible. And throughout history, we only really see there's only two preachers that are trying to preach for the attention of our ears and our hearts. The first one is found on page 1 and 2. As the first preacher, God enters the scene, and he declares for humanity freedom, future, and fulfillment on every level. He gives Adam and Eve the planet. He says, it's all yours, and everything, I want you to name the animals, you have authority, you have dominion, it's yours. He lays the table with freedom, future, and fulfillment on every level, for sexuality, for sex, for relationships, for jobs, for purpose, for recreation, for everything. He puts freedom, fulfillment, future on the table for us second preacher comes and slithers onto the scene in chapter 3 named Satan. And the very first word out of his mouth is putting in doubt what God has already said. And he says, did God really say? And from that moment, he shrinks God's offer of freedom, fulfillment, and future to just a fruit, to something that's a cheap and nasty substitute, something that will never fulfill, something that will never satisfy. But from that moment on, humanity has been left with the option of will we take what God is saying or will we listen to what the enemy is saying? There's only two preachers, sir, ma'am. And I want to say the enemy, as John 8 tells us, is that he has been a liar since the beginning. The Bible calls him the father of lies. It says his native tongue is not Shona, it's not Swan, it's not English or Afrikaans. It's lies. He cannot open his mouth without lies and deception to come out. So much so, he's a master of deception. He's been doing this so long that he's able to make lies sound like truth to you and I. He's able to cloak it up and make it sound sort of like what is good. But it's off the mark because he knows. There's two preachers, 
And I want to tell you the name of the game hasn't changed so much so, but I want to declare the voice you and I listen to will determine the future we walk into. There's two preachers preaching this morning, and it's not me. It's the voice of the Father, and it's the voice of the enemy. Which voice will you and I listen to? Because it will determine where we walk. So why don't we stand to our feet? We're going to read one, uh, two verses of Scripture this morning. John 10, verse 10 and 11. The Scripture reads as follows. Jesus speaking here. He says, the thief, the enemy, the second preacher, comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come. To bring life and life to the full. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Let me say it one more time. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus has come to bring life and life to the full. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that you are here present with us fighting for the freedom, future, and fulfillment of every person here. I thank you, Father, this morning. Would you, as we lean into your word, reawaken, redefine, and restore every heart here. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take a seat this morning? This morning, I want to be be simple and keep it clear. Three foundational relationship goals. No matter where you find yourself on the relationship spectrum, if you're single, give me a wave. Come on, all the single people. Come on. I love it. Show off that empty finger, ring finger. Show it off. Come on. You never know who's behind you. Come on. Is there anyone dating or engaged here? Can you give us a wave? Come on. Dating, engaged. There we go. Oh, there we go. Nice to see you guys. Good. Oh, a couple then. Oh, a little less than I thought. Are there any married people in the house today? Come on. I love it. I love it. I love it. Nice. It's good to be together. I believe this morning that no matter where you find yourself, whatever season, this morning is applicable to you and I if we attune our ears right. Three relationship goals that I believe God has got for you and I. Number one is this. Pursue holiness before happiness. The enemy's lie, he'll lean in and he'll say this into your ear and he'll sound, he'll use society, he'll use culture, he'll use social media, he'll, he'll use friends' perspectives to say things like this, do what makes you happy. He'll say things like this, do what feels good. He'll say, it's only natural, you deserve this. If you don't take this opportunity, I don't think you'll ever be happy. The enemy will cloak it up and it sounds good, but actually he is enticing us towards death theft, and destruction. But this amazing thing I want to resound strongly from the beginning, happiness is a wonderful outcome. Happiness is a glorious outcome, but happiness is a terrible master. What I mean by that is that happiness is temporary and circumstantial. Happiness is fleeting. It comes and it goes. How do I know this? The box win and we're pumped. The box lose and we're saying, put Rassi's head on a stake. I was meaning like, no one says, okay, sorry, Paul, I'm, on the, I'm in the dark, the dark side of Facebook there. Our happiness is temporary. What do I do? We see somebody, we, the, the person we like responds to our message and we're all excited and happy and, and jubilant. The person blue ticks us for three days and we go into deep depression. Our spouse is friendly and kind and talking and, doing, and, and preparing meals for us. And the next week you're just finding cold leftovers. Happiness is fleeting. And it's temporary. How do I know that even more? This week is payday and you're all smiling. A week ago, you're all eating two-minute noodles. Let me be honest. Happiness is temporary and circumstantial. It makes a poor master because many futures have been wrecked on the pursuit of happiness. 
I illustrate this with, with the fact that I've got this 18-month-old little girl called Olivia Grace, who's such a joy to me. But at the moment, as she's finding her, her, her feet and her, and, her, and her ability to speak and her ability, the world is opening up for her. At times, it feels like she must think that I'm an enemy to her joy. Because most of our conversations have me saying the word no in them towards her. Olivia, no, off the couch. You're not allowed to stand and jump on the couch when there's a pane of glass right behind you. No, off the couch. Tears. No, Olivia, stay away from the stove. The bright lights look amazing and the warm glow is inviting, but no, it will lead to death. No, Olivia, put down that knife. I know some of you are thinking, what type of home do you live in? the wild west there i say olivia no you can't eat that that is dirt that is not food it's not nutritional i say no but the incredible thing is actually the fact that the reason i say no and the reason i have gates at the top of my stairs that lead from the top of the house down to the bottom the reason why i have a gate there is not to inhibit her joy i have gates there to protect her for greater joy and actually, I would be a terrible father if I was saying that I'm going to give up Olivia's um, future and joy for temporary happiness. No one in their right mind would say, Olivia, you go with that knife. You go, girl. You just do you. You'd say, lock him up. But here's the thing. We have a heavenly father who is far greater than I am. I thought someone would say amen, but no one did. We have a father who's greater than I am, I promise you, and he is a father who puts parameters not to subdue our joy, but to urge us into even greater joy. What do I mean by holiness, though? When I say pursue holiness, I'm not meaning mere moral conduct or a sterile, prudish religion. I'm meaning pursuing God's heart before the happiness of your own. Pursue holiness, pursue his heart, which is for freedom, future, and fulfillment above happiness, which shrinks and makes us unsatisfied. How do we do this? Number two reasons I'm learning is, number one is under this is to seek first. Scripture in Matthew 6, 33 says, above all else, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Now, I must be honest, I love the end of that verse. It says all these things. Anyone want all these things to be added to them? Come on, it's like, I want all these things. God, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm all these things. The problem is it's not the first all, that's in that scripture. It says, above all else, seek first the kingdom. And then all these things. But too often our relationship goal is all these things when God is saying, actually, there's a priority before the provision. There's a root that needs to be established before the fruit. There's a sowing that needs to take place before you reap and lean into the growing. Here's the understanding for you and I, is that actually for, for a while, Fee and I, I met her and it was romantic bliss. It was like, I thought we were the new the new Justin and Selena. I just thought we were cool. I thought we were, we were going to be the new it couple of Tableview. Life was good. The, uh, thank you. Money was, money was flowing. We had good dates. We laughed lots. We, marriage was wonderful. And then we had a baby. And then life got interesting. Because all of a sudden, my level-headed wife, who is amazing, who brings order and sanity to our home, who brings, who, who brings order to my crazy ways and just brings such truth and moments, all of a sudden, this woman who's so level-headed and calm and, and vision-focused, all of a sudden, hormones kicked in. And she was just a flood of tears all the time. And I started saying, God, help us. We're in trouble now. Just we on there. Here we go. They'll be nervous. Yeah. And actually the problem also escalated because sleepless nights became the order of the day. 
And a guy who was used to seven, eight hours of sleep, all of a sudden was restricted to two, three hours of 40-minute segments. 40-minute little segments of sleep. And, and all of a sudden, things became different. If you start to have a relationship based on a diet of full of hormones and sleeplessness, welcome to a new chaos that we had not known yet. But all of a sudden, it took us a while. And, and again, it only took us four or five months to f- make through this, but it seemed like forever. But until we realized that actually we can be praying and we can be, I can be saying, Fiona, subdue those hormones in Jesus' name. Or I can be rebuking that sleeping baby and, and just, you know, and like just locking the door and just ignoring it. The situation wasn't changing, but actually where we sought for freedom was, because we decided actually we need to go back to the root we need to seek first. Too many of us in our relationships are waiting for things to change where God is saying, actually, God, authority to seek me first. You're wanting other things to fall in line to get all these things, but God is saying, seek me first. I want to say with strength this morning, if you, if your relationship is out of control, if you're feeling emotionally exhausted and worn out because of your partner's response or lack of response, if you find yourself dreaming of a different relational future than you're seeing now, seek first. Welcome to Dr. Phil. Seek first, but that's not the whole picture. Secondly, I want to say not just seek first, seek completely. Proverbs 3 says, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and he will make your paths straight. If your heart is not all in on this pursuit, it will lead you to places you don't want to go. Your heart, unguided and ungoverned, will lead you to places of brokenness and will lead you to temporary satisfaction that will leave you shipwrecked. The Bible says a house divided shall fall. I want to say a house, a heart divided will not stand. If your heart is leaning this way and that way, there has to become some security or you'll always lean to the easy option. That sets me up to say this, that sex is a holy thing. It's a beautiful thing, a powerful thing. In marriage, it will build up. Outside of marriage, it will only destroy. Can I say that loudly? That marriage, that, that sex outside of marriage will end up destroying you. The enemy will cloak it up and he'll call it something different. He'll call it whatever, some form of happiness, but it will always leave. He came to kill, steal, and destroy. He has no other agenda. So maybe may I ask this, if you're having a sexual relationship with anyone that is not your spouse, and I include in there a relationship with the internet, with, 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 with chat lines, with, with the woman at work, with somebody who is not your spouse, if you, or with a, a man who is not your, your spouse, if you're having a relationship with, sexual relationship with somebody who is not your spouse, I got up early this morning and got a word from God for you. Stop it. Stop it. This is what the word from here, the mercy of the Father who is right now coming and and closing the door on that relationship saying, stop it now. Maybe you say, Gabe, but you don't understand. It's complicated. It's complicated. You know, if if I don't keep putting myself out there in that way, the person's going to break up with me. Gabe, it's complicated. You don't understand what's going on at home. My spouse and I, we've been drifting apart. I haven't, we haven't had sexual intimacy for months. Gabe, it's complicated. You don't understand that actually in the story is that I'm lonely and I just want to be loved and happy. Sir, ma'am, let me say to you, seek first the kingdom of God. Trust the Lord with all your heart and he guarantees us all these things will be added. He will make your paths straight. Seek first. Trust him with all your heart. Repent and make Jesus Lord over your relationships. It's so easy to make him Lord of every other area, but sometimes our relationships between me and that other person. 
or it's too shameful for me to bring out the dark. Jesus wants to be, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. So, ma'am, bring it into the light. Watch what Jesus will do. Because actually, when you're not hiding your search history, when you're not deleting text messages, when you're not making excuses for the person you're with, I believe you'll start walking into greater joy than you could ever ask, dream, or imagine. Because here's the thing. When we start pursuing holiness before happiness, Jesus says, I'll give you joy unending. This is the journey he's got us on. Secondly, this morning, not only pursuing holiness, we need to be pursuing covenant over convenience. The enemy's lie is that he'll say this. He'll say, do what makes life easier. It's cheaper if you just live together. It's easier if you just stay over. We're going to get married anyway. You should, you should see if you're sexually compatible first. Just, just do it your way. But the problem is the enemy, the enemy will be vocal in this area because the enemy wants to make marriage just a piece of paper. The enemy wants to make marriage something from a bygone era. You guys still do marriage? Oh, that's so cute, man. So quaint, eh? Haven't you seen the stats? No, no, the enemy wants to devalue marriage. And even that married couples will start making jokes about marriage and would make their spouse the butt of their jokes. But marriage is supposed to be a blazing picture of Christ and his love for the church. The word covenant basically means covenant is where passion and sacrifice collide. Covenant is where passion and sacrifice collide. Let me tell you, in, uh, it's the only relationship, marital covenant of marriage, where those two things collide. In every other relationship, you might have passion. You might have passions raging, and it's beautiful, and it's good when it's controlled. You also, in, in parental relations with kids, you'll have sacrifice. But you'll only have the passion and sacrifice colliding in covenant when you find marriage. Why is this so huge and why will the enemy attack it as why? It's actually because it's supposed to be a picture of a greater covenant, that of Christ and his church. So much so that Jesus, it says Jesus so loved the world that he sent a postcard. No, no. Jesus so loved the world. God so loved the world that he, that he what's it called, just sent us his condolences about our sin problem. Sorry, guys. I love you. But tough luck. Jesus so, God so loved the world that he, he did, uh, did bi weekly visits. No, it says he so loved the world that he died for us. So much so that the cross of Christ is called the passion of Christ. It's where his passion and love for humanity collided with the sacrifice. Because actually, if, there's no, if he did not lay his life down for us, there was no true love in that moment. Here is the powerful indication for you and I, is that this is where the covenant of marriage gets its power. Marriage is not just merely a contract stating a list of things that I'll do and things that you must do. And if you don't do that, I won't do this. And I'll do this if you do that. It's not just a contract. Marriage is not just what, despite what Facebook memes will tell you, friendship on fire. It's on a higher level, higher level than that. Marriage is not just also about a partnership. You do 50% and I'll do 50%. Make sure we just all do our share. No, no, no. Marriage is a covenant. And covenant basically is, as Scripture tells us, the two becoming one. At weddings, it is wonderful to tell the happy couple that today is a wedding and a funeral. Watch a whole lot of confused faces in the audience when you say that. Why? Because two people walked in, but the scriptures tell us that one person's walking out. The two become one. Marriage covenant is when two people die to their own ambitions, die to their own needs, so they live for the other person's benefit. This is what covenant actually is. And actually for us, this covenant is that from that day forth, I will give 100% even if you give 0%. And the other person is saying, from this day forth, I will give 100% even if you give 0%. This is what covenant is. Now I want to say this, that actually passion 
will sometimes fuel sacrifice. Passion will add sacrifice. How do I know this? Well, the great theologian Bruno Mars, he sang it this way. He said, I love you so much, baby, that I'd catch a grenade for you. Jump in front of a train for you. Passion will fuel sacrifice. Thank you, Papa Bruno. But I want to tell you that actually today, if you're sitting here and your marriage, you're going, actually, there's not, not passion, parish passion has been dwindling for my spouse. I'm feeling like it's not what it once was. Hear me tell you this. Sacrifice will fuel your passion. Sacrifice will fuel your passion. If you say, actually, this is the re- reality, as maybe I can suggest, your marriage, sir, ma'am, is not fully alive because you're not fully dead. That'll tweet. But it's much harder to live. But yeah, let me say it again. Your marriage might not be fully alive because you're not fully dead. Because the Bible says the two people die and come alive to be a new person together. How does this react in real life? My, my physical love language is, uh, my, my love language is physical touch. That's my primary love language, physical touch. Secondly is, Fiona, please touch me some more. Thirdly is, Fiona, just don't stop touching me. Now that's, I'm quite a simple guy. But Fiona's love language, as I've realized, is a little bit different. And times have changed and situations have changed. And Fiona, what happens when I get off the couch and we, we have that, that waft of a dirty nappy comes across our nostrils. And I look at her and I wink at her and I say, Fiona, this nappy changes on me. And I pick up Olivia, I go upstairs, and I open up that nappy, get the wet wipes out. And I, we do our business and we clean up what was, what was messy there. And I put that, that dirty nappy into, into a, be, a bag and I, and I throw the bag in the bin. And as I put a new nappy on, I look at Fiona walk past. There's a glisten in her eye. And it's as if I'd put Barry White on. She's like, we're on. We're on. I tell you. Jokes aside, but I really believe that great sex lives starts with great sacrifice. Great sex life starts with great sacrifice. The movies tell us that great sex life starts with the right music, the right moment, the right lighting, the right passions in order, and it will tell us that passion needs to be heightened for great sex to happen. I want to tell you that actually I believe it's the, the opposite. For great sex to happen, great sacrifice needs to happen. Wally used to tell me, he said, if you want passion at 11, you need to start serving at 7. <laughs> Write that one down. Wally, Dr. Love. <laughs> but, but it's not just in that area. Sacrifice pervades, not just with a hook, not just for that. Sacrifice, covenant is us laying our lives down for the benefit of the other, even if I get 0%. Even if it doesn't lead to anything, I'm going to lay my life down for you. I'm going to sacrifice for your needs. You're going to sacrifice for my needs. This is when covenant starts to blossom. There's a man named Chris Vallotton. He's a preacher in Bethel in uh, Redding, California. And he told the story that before he was a preacher, he used to work in a mill, and, he, and, and they had a, a weekly pay run. So on Friday, they would have to pay their staff salaries. But they were in such a recession and such turmoil as a business that every week on Thursday night, he said his, 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 his anxiety left and his prayer life went through the roof, not because he was a spiritual man, but more because he said, I don't know how I'm going to pay my people tomorrow. And for a year, he said it just felt like he was a failure after failure. He could not, no matter what he tried, he worked from seven till seven, worked extra hours, would not leave the office early, but he just had to let go workers and take a dip in salary and let more workers go. And he just felt like such a failure in life. And then he said one day, he just he said he couldn't do any more. So he, he said, actually, I've, just, I've got to get home early, so I can't do this anymore. So he left home early. That was not his just custom. Got home at four o'clock in the afternoon. As he was walking up his driveway, he looked at the house that was in darkness. I thought, something's wrong. 
what's, what's going on? Why is it in darkness? The wife and the kids are here. So he, he hastened his pace, opened the door. He looked in, and the kids were, had made uh, tents and forts in the, in the lounge. And they said, Dad, they had little torches and candles lit. and said, Dad, we're camping. Come, Dad. He said, I'll come there now. But he was a bit disturbed. He's like, what's going on? So I must find Kathy. He must find the wife. And as he, his wife came around the corner, and, and his wife was a bit shocked. What are you doing home? What are you doing home, love? You, not you for a few hours. And then he said, no, no, love. I just thought I'd come home early. What's wrong? What's wrong? And he said, his wife said, hey, sorry, love. I, I didn't want you to know this. But actually, let me, while we go, turn on, let's go to the porch. I'll turn on the, the lights now. But he says, I know it's been tough for the last year for you. And for us as a family, she said, so I decided to start making sacrifices from my end. She says, so every morning when you leave for work at seven, we turn off the electricity for the day. And I make it a fun game for the kids so they don't feel that they're in any lack, that they're camping. And it's quite fun. It's become a highlight for them. But every evening at 6.30, we turn on the electricity and warm the house and get everything ready for your return. Because we want to we be involved in this. And he, as he told story, he started to weep and weep. He said, that's a woman that understands passion and sacrifice. Because when passion and sacrifice, covenant is understood, there's no longer the blame game. You've let us down. You messed up. In the garden, the first thing that happens when sin comes, Adam says, she made me do it. He made me do it. And blaming for my lack. Blaming, no. Covenant says, when we're in profit, we're both in profit. When we're in loss, we're both in loss. Because this is what covenant is for you and I. You know what? This is why the enemy will, he'll try to get us to settle for less. The enemy will try to get us to settle for less in our marriage or settle for just living together. Just say, just, just live together. It's a new normal. Just live together. Why marriage, you know? There was a couple who, actually, I remember meeting them four or five years ago, sitting on the left-hand side of this building. And we became friends. And we really became really good friends, even despite the fact that he was an Arsenal fan. I know, that's how you know God's in the, the house, you know? And, and we became friends. And as we started, and I just saw that they made decision after decision for Christ. You like, saw the glow of God upon them and just a future opening up. It's like, wow, this amazing couple. But as we started journey, I realized that they were living together. And the more and further we became friends, I realized if I really care about them, I should speak to them about this. Not in some condescending way, not that I've got a better answer, but actually the fact that God has got better things for them. God has got a better pursuit for them of covenant rather than convenience. But I remember getting a lump in my throat because I was nervous because I thought if I have this conversation, if I put this on the table, culture so preached this as normal, there's the opportunity for them to walk away from this friendship and say, actually, don't tell me that stuff. And I thought, am I willing to sacrifice our friendship for the sake of their future? No greater love as a man that he would lay down his life for his friends. I think too often people, we are un- we're not afraid to tell the truth. We're laying down our friends for our lives. That's one for free. But I decided, actually, you know, I love them. I care for them too much. So I've got to say this. And I remember sitting down. We sat at Morgan's, shout out for local business. And as I sat down and we started to have this conversation, uh, they, I remember they understand their, their logic seemed flawless. They said, Gabe, it's cheaper to live together. I'm like, yeah, it is. Rent is expensive. Then they said, we're not sleeping together. And I believe them. And they said, Gabe, we're also going to get married anyway. And I remember just sitting with them and we worked through these, these thoughts. And I said, guys, it might be cheaper now, but it'll cost you more in the long run. I said, guys, you're not living together, but there's a call of God in your life. And actually, why would you put yourself in the place of temptation when you're called to live pure. It's like putting your, your head in the mouth of a lion and saying, he's never eaten what anyone's eaten already. I promise you, he's never eaten one, anyone yet. Why put yourself in the, in the space of danger when you can walk into freedom? And I always said, guys, you also got this call of God, be beyond reproach, because actually these days, living together is code word for sleeping together. But ultimately, I said to him, the biggest reason is the fact that I believe that 
if you do this now, you're stealing from your future. You're stealing from your future. Too many couples live together now and live in, in, in even in sexuality and in, in living in, the, in cohabitation together now. And then they get married and wonder why when they get to marriage, their passions are lacking. They get to marriage and they wonder why it's really not working. It's not like it once was. May I suggest that, sir, ma'am, you have been stealing from something in the future and having the fruit of it now when you should have been waiting for the joy of it later. Too many couples in the time preparing for marriage should be investing into marriage and investing into their future, but are actually too often making withdrawals too early. The story of the prodigal son is not about a son who went off and sinned wildly. It's a son who took his inheritance too soon. Let me say this, that our decisions and our, uh, are determined not by our circumstances. Sir, ma'am, we are, we are people of the first preacher. We're not preachers, sir, people of the second preacher who listen, give our ear to convenience. We're people who respond differently. And our circumstances and our decisions are determined not on where we've been, but where we're going. And we're people with a high call who meant to re- represent and show off Christ's love for the church. That actually says this, husband in Ephesians 5 says, that wives, submit. Sounds a tough word to say. Wives, submit to your husbands. But he, wait, he doesn't stop there. He says, husbands, die for your wives. He raises the standard. He actually, why? He says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Why? So when the world look at our marriages, they're not looking for perfect marriages, but they're looking for sacrificial marriages. They say, actually, I live for your other person's benefit. Can we be a people who pursue covenant above convenience? Finally, this morning, as we land, is our third point is pursue purpose before the person. You see, God's ultimate relationship goal for you and I is that our relationships would not be our ultimate goal. Believe it or not, God's ultimate relational goal for you is that your relationship would not be your ultimate goal. You see, we were given a purpose before we were given a person. The Bible opens up with God giving mankind a mandate to rule and have dominion. He puts Adam in Genesis 2.15 and he places Adam in, Ed, uh, Adam in Eden and he says, name the animals and rule and have dominion. He gives Adam a job and then he gives him Eve three verses later. Why was God doing this? Why? Because God was saying this, that if God is not enough for you, no one else will ever be. You see, too often we end up making the person we're with or want to be with our purpose. But that only ever leads to disappointment and disillusionment. My wife said something to me the other day, which was so powerful when she said it. When she first said it, I didn't really fully get it. She said this. She said, Gabe, that's how we talk at our home. Gabe, I said, Gabe, you don't, you'll never fully satisfy me. I remember thinking at first, please don't put that in my next birthday card. Just please don't. But then she carried on and said, and, and I will never fully satisfy you. And as I heard that, I, I heard the, what she was trying to say in that moment was the powerful saying that actually, I thank God for the fact that my wife's identity and security and emotional stability is not in me. It's in Christ. It's actually the cruelest thing you can do is have put your identity and emotions and faith and hope in a person when actually they're not supposed to be God. They're not supposed to deliver as God. When you put them on a pedestal, you're only setting them up for fall and setting yourself up for disappointment when you were supposed to be a person who pursued purpose before the person. 
me tell you that actually your purpose is not to get a girlfriend or boyfriend. It's not to get even married. It's not to make your spouse love you better. You were made, sir, ma'am, for the gospel. You were made to know and show the goodness of God to this earth. You were made for Jesus Christ, to know him as your ultimate savior and the one who gives you identity, pleasure, and purpose. You were made to know Christ. And yes, marriage is a gift. And my and Fiona is my helper and I'm her helper who's going to push her towards holiness. When everything inside of her and I wants to go to our happiness and our short-term pleasure, she, we're going to hold each other accountable to holiness. That when everything inside of us wants to go to convenience, we'll hold each other accountable to covenant, to lay down our lives for one another, passion and sacrifice colliding. But ultimately, the greatest gift I can give her is to say, you are not my purpose. He is. Because he has a problem. If you're empty of purpose, you'll become full of regret. Too many relational conversations start because of this is what they did. She, this is what she did. This is what they didn't do. This is what they didn't do. When actually God is supposed to be the, the thing that satisfies and fuels your relationships. This morning as we land, I, I want to say that maybe you're sitting here and uh, you're sitting here and you're feeling a little bit like, this is quite a tough word because, you know, I've been pursuing happiness. I've been pursuing my pleasures. I've been pursuing convenience. Or I've been making my, 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 the person I'm with or the person I'm not with an idol in my life, someone that, I, that dictates my emotions and my decisions. Well, here's the great news, is that there is, there is no sin and there's no mess that the cross of Christ can't heal and forgive. There is no sin. The only sin that he cannot forgive is the one that's not brought to him. The only, one, the only sin that he cannot forgive is the one that he has not yielded to his feet and say, Jesus, I trust you with this. Here's the, the fact for you and I today. I want to declare again that the, in the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. But the great news is whatever was stolen, Jesus can restore. Can I tell you whatever was killed, Jesus can reawaken. Can I tell you whatever was destroyed, Jesus can redeem completely. Because he came to bring life and life to the full. Your relationship is not too far gone, sir, ma'am. Your emotions are not too far gone. Your, your brokenness is not too far gone. There's no mess that he cannot reconcile. Jesus Christ wants to be Lord of your relationships, not so he can lord it over you, but so he can lead you into freedom, future, and fulfillment that you've never known in this area. This is his relationship goals for you and I. Pursue holiness above your happiness. Pursue covenant above convenience. Pursue the purpose of God above the person you're with or want to be with. When we do this, we start walking into joy like we've never known before. Can we pray? I land today with the, the most exciting and encouraging news. And today maybe you're saying, I'm feeling weak, Gabe. This is a tough task. Yes, it is a tough task. But I tell you the great news is we have a Savior named Jesus Christ who says when you were pursuing happiness and pleasures and sin, he says, I was pursuing you. He says, when you were pursuing convenience, when you were pursuing other people, he says, I was pursuing you and I am the covenant-keeping God. When you cannot keep your covenant, when you don't have strength any longer to hold on to your marriage vows, when you don't have any ability to hold on to purity, when you don't have ability to hold on to your emotions, we have a covenant-keeping God who went to the cross on our behalf and he died as sinful man and he rose again as all and conquering our man in glory who stands there and to testify and pray, if ever pray for us and that we have this Savior who says, I am your righteousness, I am your covenant keeper and I am your purpose and I will fulfill you if you trust me.